tonight, we're talking about dating, okay? We're talking about dating, and if you're like, man, that's not, that's not a marriage series, that's, um, that, that's, that's not really fair, well, then I would refer you to the last several weeks where we have talked about things that, um, for the single folks, may have been like, well, this isn't about uh, me, this is about marriage, but we're going to talk about dating, but here's the thing. Just like I've said about marriage the whole time, I've said that m- there isn't really marriage issues as much as there are people issues. And the same thing is going to be true tonight, that though we're going to talk specifically about dating, the very same issues that we're going to talk about relating to dating apply to you if you're married, or, or apply to you if you're just a person that isn't dating or married, that's just a person, okay? So the, what we're going to talk about tonight, I want you to hear the heart of the issues and allow that to allow that to speak to you where it needs to speak to you okay even though i'm not dating somebody the the issues and the things that i've been studying for this week they're very applicable to my heart okay so if you are dating or you're interested in dating it'll be applicable to you but really this is again for everybody and here's here's what i want to start with dating is really difficult so the process of moving from, if you're single and you want to be married, that process of moving from singleness to marriage is really difficult. It's not easy. Nobody, if you're single, you didn't wake up this morning and go, you know what's easy? Dating. That's what's really easy. No one has ever done that, right? I mean, it's just, it's not an easy thing. Dating is something that's really difficult. If you're single and you would like to be married at some point and that process that you envision of getting from here to there, that's a difficult process. It isn't easy. There's thousands of articles that are produced all the time on BuzzFeed or this magazine or this magazine or this thing. And you just, I mean, there's so much information out there because it's difficult of here's the five things to look for, here's the five things to not look for, here's the quiz to take, here's this thing. I mean, there's so much out there because it's a really difficult process. It's a difficult process. It's not easy. And I think what makes it even more difficult is that the movies or things that we watch, The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, make it look really easy. It's like maybe they have one fight, but then they're standing in the rain and they make up, right? And that's it. It's like, wow, that was in the course of two hours, someone met the love of their life and everything is wonderful. Or in The Bachelor, in the course of 10 to 12 weeks or however long it is, in the course of that span of time, you move from total stranger to dream wedding and totally in love, right? But that's not real. But we see those things and it goes, and we, and we can think, man, if that's what it's like, why is my life suck? Why is my life so difficult? It seems like I should be able to go from here to there like that. So it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult process. Dating is easy. It's messy. And really what's happened then in our culture is this. Because of that, because dating, and if you've ever dated anybody, you know, man, it's a mess. Or if you've ever wanted to date someone, you know it's a mess. Okay? And what has happened is this. In our culture now, dating has almost been, in a lot of respects, done away with. So there was an article recently in Vanity Fair, which is a, um, a, not a Christian publication, just a, just a cultural kind of magazine, newspaper that produces content on various things. And it was about the, the Tinder apocalypse, is what they called it. And how basically, they, and Tinder got really upset about it, but who cares what they think. Um, and Vanity Fair was right. And it was this big thing about how dating is basically done now, because it's just hookup culture. 
because that's all, all you got to do is swipe and there you go, you got somebody. And you can have 20 people in a week or two weeks. And it doesn't matter who you are. You don't have to learn to, to be smooth at the bar and walk up to somebody. All you have to do is know how to do this. That's it. That's the skill it requires to date someone. That. That's a swipe on a phone. Okay? That's all you have to do. If you're like, what is he doing? I don't, that's all I have to do? And you're going to walk around going like this and no one's going to date you. But all you have to do is go on your phone and swipe and that's all it takes. Okay? So there, what has happened is because dating is a mess... Because it is difficult, because it's complicated, because it's confusing, because we haven't looked at what are we actually supposed to do with this according to what the Bible says, because of that, there's been a backlash in our world that has said, forget the whole thing, let's just hook up and have fun and not worry about all the mess. That's what's happened. And so there's whole industries that have popped up around that, there's whole philosophies that have popped up around that, but people still end up hurt, broken, sad, frustrated, and lonely. That's still what ends up happening. So dating is a mess. It's complicated. It's confusing. And I'm not surprised that there's been a backlash against it. I'm not surprised by that. If the, if the alternative to the hookup culture is all of the confusion and all of the mess, if that's the alternative, it's not surprising that that has developed. But I think there's a better alternative. I think there's a better alternative that can help us with some of the difficulty in the confusing things. I think we can open the Bible and look at a better alternative that will address both practical things and some of the heart things that make it difficult. Okay, but the first thing is this. Here's the first question I think we just need to even start with. Here's the first question. There we go. Um, What should I think about marriage? And here's what I mean, because maybe as we're going to talk about, okay, the process from moving from dating to marriage, we're going to talk about that process, but what should you even be thinking about marriage? And here's what I mean. Sometimes people go, um, people say, man, should I, should I, should I want to be married? Should I want to be married? What if I don't want to be married? Is that okay? Like, is it okay if you don't want to be married? I mean, I know there's a lot of people in here that are single. Is it okay if you don't even want to be married? Yeah, it is. If you don't want to be married, that's okay. All right, I think my clicker is working. Adam, we all saw you, just so you know. (laughs) Adam's like, no one can see me. (laughs) But thank you. (laughs) Small church, sorry. (laughs) You're not that much of a ninja. You should have climbed under the pews and then like, there you go. Okay, so... What should I think about marriage? First thing is this. Is it okay if you don't want to be married? Is that okay? Like, you might be single and go, man, I don't really, like, sometimes what happens is this. People that are single are basically told, hey, those pews in the very back row, those are for you. Like, because you're kind of, married people are here, and you're like somewhere between here and here. And what if you don't want to be married? Is that all right? Is that okay? Here's, here's what Paul says. Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. He's talking to single people. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman that's engaged is anxious about the things of the Lord how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her 
husband. So here's what he is saying. He's saying if you're married, it's complicated. If you're married, you, your interests are divided. You no longer are just a, a sole individual that can say, hey, I'm going to do this tonight. I'm going I'm to stay up. I'm going to stay up till four in the morning. Why not? Or, you know what? I think I'm going I'm to just travel. I'm going to go out of town. I'm gonna, you, you can't. Your interests are divided. Your focus is divided. Now, he's saying, and you might go, I don't, that's not how I live. He says the unmarried man is anxious about things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, because he's saying if you're single, you, can, you have the opportunity to devote all your attention to saying, I'm going to live my life with only one person that I care about, Jesus. He's saying that the unmarried person can do that. The unmarried person goes, I don't have to take into consideration this other person that I live with, that's one flesh with me. All I have to do is go, Jesus, what do you want me to do? That's it. So he says their attention, their focus is undivided to God. So what should I think about marriage? The first thing is this. It's okay not to be married. If you're single, that can be a great gift. And I would say you should use it the way Paul says. And I know some of you that, man, you really do that. You really go, I'm single, and I'm going to really devote the time that I have to God. That is awesome. And there's you know, some of you are single, and I don't know you very well. Others of you are single, and you're doing that, and it's awesome. And you're able to really say, man, I'm able to give my attention fully to God. That's, that's a great gift. So if you're single... You don't have to be married. That's, that's okay. And that doesn't, you're, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not worthless. You're, you're an, Paul was single, the guy that wrote that. He's like, trust me, the, un, the unmarried man. You know, the, Jesus was single. There's all sorts of great single people that have taken that as a gift and used it to serve God and serve others. And man, that is awesome, okay? Second thing is this, though. It's okay not to be married. But it's also okay to want to be married. See, I think sometimes, I, and this is weird, man. If you're, if, if, you're, um, if you're not a Christian and you're just kind of visiting with us tonight, and man, we are so glad to have you. We love having people that are just checking out the faith. But in Christian circles, somewhere along the way, some wacko developed this idea that said, hey, if you want to be married, first you have to not want to be married. Like, What? But, and they, it's called contentment, right? Which is like, hey, if you want to be married first, you have to go, I never want to be married, Jesus. And then all of a sudden you're going to open your eyes and there's going to be a spouse there. You have to get to this place where you despise marriage and then Jesus will give you marriage. Logical, right? It's like, that's weird. But that's developed in Christian circles. This weird mentality that basically it's not okay to want to be married. And as soon as you get to that place where you don't ever want marriage, then you can have it. It's, it's stupid. It's really stupid. So here's what I want to say. First of all, what should you think about marriage? If you don't want to be married, that's okay. If you don't want to be married and you're single and you want to live a single life and you want to go, man, my attention is on Jesus, that's awesome. And if you want to be married, that's okay. Like that's a beautiful thing to want and there is nothing wrong with that. And you don't have to be ashamed of that. Sometimes I think it's even like cool to be like, oh yeah, I don't care. I'm just kind of, you know, I'm just kind of chilling, doing my thing. No, it's okay to go, yeah, I want to be married. That, that is not bad. That's a great thing. I've, I've talked with people that feel this huge burden and pressure to be like, 
man, I, I know I'm not supposed to want to be married. And like, what? No, it's okay. It's okay to want to be married. That's a good thing. Okay, so that's just, that's all preface. Okay, what should I think about marriage? First is, it's okay to not want to be married. Second is, it's okay to want to be married. Really simple, okay? That's the first thing. Now, second thing is this. What are some practical things to consider when it comes to dating? Dating is difficult, it's complicated, it's a mess. But I think there's a better alternative, and I think in order to go, how do we deal with the difficulty and the mess, we have to think about some practical things, and then we have to think about some heart things, and that's what we're going to talk about. So first is some practical things. What are some practical things to consider when it comes to dating? And the first thing I want to say is this. The Bible doesn't talk about dating. The Bible doesn't talk about dating. It doesn't talk about dating. And really, that's because of this. It's because in the Bible, it presents marriage and it presents friendship. And the Bible has a ton to say about friendship. It has a lot to say about family relationships within the church, like brother, that we're brothers and sisters. It has a lot to say about that kind of stuff. And then it has a good chunk to say about marriage. So it has a lot to say about friendship and family relationships within the church, and then it has a lot to say about marriage, but it doesn't talk about dating at all. It doesn't talk about dating. It's not because in the Bible people just randomly went from friendship to marriage, but it's because the Bible really sees kind of distinct categories of friendship, family relationship, and then marriage. So it doesn't, you, there's no letters that you read from Paul or from Peter or from other people in the Bible that say, okay, now to all the boyfriends, I'd like to say this. It, it, there's nowhere in the Bible that talks like that. But the Bible still has a lot of important wisdom and principles that speak into what it looks like practically to think about dating, okay? So even though the Bible doesn't talk directly about dating, it talks about all sorts of other helpful things that can speak into dating. And I've got four things I want to consider, for us to consider, that are practical based on what Paul says about marriage. So dating is a process that moves from this friendship category to marriage. So let's look at what the Bible says about marriage and we'll be able to see some things that are helpful as it relates to dating. And we've been talking about the verse I'm going to show several different times. Okay, I've used this in multiple sermons because there's so much rich content in this verse in Ephesians. So if you're like, wait a minute, that's the same verse you used last week and the week before. I know, because there's all sorts of great stuff in this one verse. So we're going to look at this picture that Paul paints of marriage, and then from there go, what does that mean then practically for dating? Okay, so here's this verse again. Ephesians 5, and Paul says this, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I'm not going to talk about that. If that offends you and hurts you and makes you uh, freaked out, then uh, that's understandable, and I preached about that last week, okay? So wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. So he's talking about wives, he's talking about husbands, he's talking about 
what part of what I said last week was both of these callings to wives and husbands, the one says submit and one says to uh, give yourself up for the other person. At the heart, what both of those are is a calling to lay down yourself, to empty yourself for the sake of another person. And he talks about the husband loving his wife and helping her to become the person Jesus is calling her to be. This is what he says Jesus does for the church. He cleanses her by the washing of water with the word. He tells husbands to love their wives. Any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So this is this beautiful picture of marriage that Paul paints. And I know, again, there might be some stuff in there that you're like, well, I don't know about that, but look at the core of what he's saying. There's this calling to empty yourself, to empty yourself and serve another person. And that there's nourishing and cherishing and becoming, becoming this glorious image without blemish, spot, or wrinkle. That there is this selfless love that loves the other person the way you've been loved. There's this holding fast to, this unity. Okay, so this is this beautiful picture that Paul paints of marriage, of the marriage relationship. But I think that as we look at this picture, we can go, okay, so what does that mean? If that's this relationship over here... And dating is this process to move towards that. What does that mean? What are some practical things that maybe can help us in all the crazy difficulty that we face in dating? So what are some practical things to consider that we can see from what Paul has shown to us? And this isn't everything there is to say about dating, okay? I could give you a hundred principles on, here's some biblical principles for dating. But I want to give you four things. The first one is this, that you have to look at character. I mean, think about the picture that Paul's describing of marriage. That's a beautiful picture, right? Someone that is selfless, that nourishes, that cherishes, that's willing to lay themselves down. But what does that mean? What's the kind of person that has to be in that relationship? It's a person of character, right? But do you know that when studies are done, that integrity of a person is ranked lower than their humor, their confidence, their looks, so when someone says, hey, what, what are you looking for in a person? Integrity ranks lower than knock-knock jokes. I mean, think about that. That's crazy. But if you think about it in your life, whether you're married or dating, think about if you ever made a list or maybe have a list. It was way more about, well, they have to like this hobby and they have to like this thing and they got to they gotta look like this. and they gotta. It wasn't a big, giant list of character things, probably, Right? Character is really overlooked. But the, to get the picture that Paul just described, man, that takes a person of character. And here's what is crazy. To date someone, to date someone, what do you need? You need to not have BO, basically. That's it. But to get a job at Chipotle, you have to have an interview. You've got to have references. You've got to fill out an application. You've got to I've never worked at Chipotle. I'm just assuming, okay? You've got to have all, I mean, you've got to, it's a pretty extensive interview process to, to make burritos. But to date another human being, what you've got to kind of look okay and be able to dress yourself and not stink awfully. 
Like even okay is, you can probably kind of smell, but you can't like really smell. That's it. That's, those are the requirements to like get an initial date. I'm not saying to marry the person, but I'm saying to get an initial date, there's not much qualification, right? I mean, there's not, you don't have to have a lot. I mean, if, if you're using Tinder or something else, all you got to know is what they look like. If you're using some other online dating thing, all you have to know is the positive things they tell you about themselves. Which, who's going to say on there, I'm clingy and I have a bad temper, right? No one's going to say that. They're going to say, I love to laugh and I love all the movies you love. What do you love? Tell me and I'll fill out my profile. And that's it. But to get a job at Chipotle, you've got to have more character than to date somebody. So, look for a person of character. In order to get the picture that the Bible just described, you've got to look for character. And character is often overlooked. It really is. I mean, it's often overlooked. And a lot of times, even when it is looked at, if you go, well, no, I do want someone of character, okay? But a lot of times what that gets translated into is I want someone that doesn't kill people. Like, we look for just the bare minimum. Like, have they been in jail? Have they killed anybody? Or, positively, are they nice? And that's basically what character means. Are they nice? Are they nice? Okay, anybody's nice that's trying to date you. Nobody shows up as a jerk, right? Or if they do, then, I mean, that's really easy. But, I mean, everybody's nice. Everybody's nice. Often, character's overlooked. And even when it is looked at, it's the bare minimum qualifications that are looked at. But if you want to get a picture of someone that is selfless in love, of someone that will lay their life down, of someone that will nourish and cherish and empty themselves, you got to look at things like, man, does this person love Jesus? Really? Does this person read their Bible? How does this person treat the waiter at the restaurant we're at? Did they tip well? Were they complaining the whole time? How does this person, I mean, what is, how do they interact with their friends? Or are they talking bad about people? Or are they talking bad about their boss? Do they seem like they're a servant? Do they serve at their church? I mean, that's some, like, really, those are some questions to ask. Because those are character things that start to reveal, is this a serving person? Is this a person that's moving in the direction of Jesus? Man, if you want a picture of beauty, in marriage that Paul describes. That doesn't happen just because someone's nice. So, first thing is this. Look for character and ask character questions. Ask character questions. Ask character questions. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing is this. Friendship. Look for someone that you can be friends with. No, I don't think that's rocket science. No one goes, I'm looking for someone I really don't like to hang out with, right? But look for someone that you go, man, you know what? That person is a friend to me. C.S. Lewis has this place where he talks about the thing, and he's not talking about married relationships. He's just talking about friendships. And so this is true, I think, even in uh, other friendships. But he talks about this, this thread that weaves through people's lives. So if you look about, if you look at your own life, or if you look about your own life, that's the Australian version, if you look about your own life, and you look at your life and you go, what's the thread that runs through my whole life that connects the movies I like, and the books I like, and the places I even like, or the art I like, and the songs I like, and, 
the experiences I like? Is there a thread that maybe connects all of that? C.S. Lewis says that we each have some sort of thread that connects all the different things that we really feel passionate about. And he says, look for someone else that shares that similar thread. That's a friend, a person that, I, so actually, and I don't know if I've ever told my wife this, but before we started dating, we were in a room of uh, people and I was like, hey, I had heard this about C.S. Lewis. And I was like, hey, let's all talk about our thread. Let's all, you know, C.S. Lewis has this thing, and I kind of just explained it. It's like, what are your threads? And I knew what my thread was. I was like, I'm going to see if this girl has my thread. I know that's weird. That sounds weird, right? But I was like, I'm going to listen and see what her thread is. And I was like, oh, that's my thread. And that's, that was even before we were dating. It helped me to know. So, I mean, that won't work, you know, if, if now everybody in here knows that, right? And so if you're going to date someone in here, and you're like, hey, so let's see C.S. Lewis talks about... Then people are going, I know what you're doing, right? So my thread is Applebee's. I mean, that weaves through everything <laughs> that I love. I just, if you're new, I hate Applebee's. And so I'm sorry if you work at Applebee's. I don't, I'm not sorry because of what I said, but because you work at Applebee's, I'm sorry. But, um, I, so I'm joking. That's not my thread. Um, so, <laughs> oh, Applebee's. I actually went there uh, a lot, like a week and a half ago or something with some people from here. And it was... That I, we were joking, like, what if I walk in and people are like, hey, Caleb, good to see you. You know, your, your boot, we have your table ready for you. And people are like, he's been lying to us. Anyway, so you look for, C.S. Lewis talks about this thread, okay, that runs through our lives, this thread that connects us, because that kind of gets at the heart of who you are. Now, here's where this comes from in what Paul said. He says, a husband and a wife become one. You hold fast to one another and you become one flesh. That in marriage, what you're looking for is this deep, unity. Now that's true. Look, maybe you married someone and you're like, crap, they don't have my thread. That's okay. That can grow. That can happen. But if you're dating, what you're looking for is who do I see myself being united with? That I actually, and this is beyond affinity, okay? This is beyond affinity. Affinity is, man, do they like to fish? Because I like to fish. Do they like the Broncos? Because I like the Broncos. Do they like to... I don't know why skate came in my mind, but do, I, do, do they like to skate? Because I like to skate. Rollerblade, do they like to rollerblade? And hula hoop, because I like to do that. Do they like this TV show? It's, it's more than that, okay? It's not just affinity. It's, it's somebody that you go, man, this would be a person that I have this deep connection with where it seems like we're just on the same page, that there's a unity somebody that we're moving in the same direction in life, that our hearts kind of connect over the same things. So even if superficially we're different in so many different ways, there's this heart unity that is connected. There's this heart thread that's connected. Now look, ultimately, this is again why you want someone that is a Christian, if you're a Christian, because that deepest heart thread should be, we're both moving towards Jesus together. That should be the thread that, I mean, everybody should have two threads if you're a Christian. There should be one thread that is running through you that is, man, my life is about Jesus. But another thread that's just kind of the unique makeup of who you are, that a lot of times you'll meet someone else and go, me too. Not just at an activity level, not just at an affinity level, but at a heart unity level. So you need to ask yourself, man, is this someone... Is this someone that I could see myself being friends with? Is this someone, I like to say, this is the skip-bow test. Is this someone I want to play skip-bow with? You know what skip-bow is? Your grandparents probably play it. 
But no one plays it right now, right? Like if you're in your 20s or 30s or even 40s, you don't play skip bow. But something happens when you hit 60, 70, and you just go, man, I just want to get out skip bow. And you want to play skip bow. And it's fun. But nobody has... <laughs> I'm serious, okay? It's true. Or racco, anything with an O. Racco, skip bow, bingo. Okay, so anything with an O. Is this someone I want to play skip bow with? Because here's the thing. Right now, your hobbies and your activities, they're going to go away and they're going to change. But someone that you feel that sense of friendship with, you can sit down and play cards with. Okay? So now you're like, oh, yeah, skip bow. It doesn't, it's not so crazy after all. Or maybe it's still crazy. But that's, that's the skip bow test. Tim Keller, an author and pastor in New York, he, he says this, that oftentimes what happens is our, our default mode of screening somebody is not friendship. See, so as much as I just said about friendship, that's easy to go, yeah, yeah, of course, I'm looking for someone that's a friend. Really? I mean, is that really true? Because that's not usually the original and the initial screening process. Usually for a guy, it's what do they look like? And for a gal, and I know this is stereotypical and you might not fall into the stereotype, but statistics show it's true, okay? So you might not fall into the stereotype and nobody always falls into every stereotype, but statistics back this up. That guys, their initial screening is what do they look like? And for gals, the initial screening is, are they successful? Do they, do they seem to be successful? That's the initial screening. And Tim Keller says, what if we walk into a room and the initial screening is, who could I be friends with? And it doesn't mean you don't care at all about financial success or if they're a total deadbeat. And it doesn't mean you go, I, you know, I'm blind and I, I can't tell what you look like. It doesn't mean that. But it means... What's your, if your initial screening process is friendship, man, who do I feel like I'm really united with? That we, we're kind of going the same way and theologically we're on the same page and our hearts are unified in a lot of ways and, our, and we, there's just this kind of connection that isn't just attraction, that isn't just, that isn't just success, but it's, man, there's something in my heart that goes, I want to be friends with this person. And a lot of times what happens is we go, oh, well, they're a friend, and so they're over here. But man, this person, they're hot, or they're this, or they're that, or whatever. And then we go, okay, maybe I can force a friendship with them. Instead of going, hey, who could I be friends with? Who could I be friends with? Is that the initial default screening perspective? Should be. If if, if, If a big piece of what marriage is, is unity and oneness, then what you want is someone whose thread intertwines with yours. Starting with Jesus, but the other things that really are part of who God has made you in your soul. Friendship. Okay? Third is this. Be intentional. Um, in order to move to that picture, be intentional. If you're dating, be intentional. And I kind of talked about that in friendship, but dating is intended to move you towards marriage. That's what the purpose is. It's intended to go, is this someone that I could have that with, that beautiful picture? Is that someone I could have that with? And so you're thinking about that. 
It's not something put out of your mind. It's not something that is like, well, one day, well, maybe. It's, it's from the very beginning that you are thinking. I'm not saying that you are together talking about that, but if, if, you, if, if you're going, man, I want to move towards this, then, you sh- then as you're dating, that's what you should be thinking about. You should be thinking about those things, which also means if you're being intentional, you're asking your community to speak into that for you. And I'm not saying just friends that will tell you whatever you want to hear, but I'm saying people that also share the same kind of values, the same kind of perspective, that can look at your relationship and speak into it with you, for you, on your behalf. Fourth thing is this. Learn. It's amazing that to get, I mean, think about what do you have to do if you want to buy a car? First, you have to get a driver's license. You have to take a written test. You have to take a driver's test. Then you have to get car insurance. Then you have to get your car. Then you have to, to buy a car, you have to have a credit check, unless you got just tons of cash. You got to get a credit check. You got to get, you got to get bothered by a salesperson. You've got to, I mean, you've got to do all sorts of things to get a car, right? But to get a date, again, same with Chipotle. And I mean, it's really easy. There's not a lot of screening process. You don't have to be super qualified to date. You don't have to be super, you know, do you know this? If you want to get married in Colorado, you can do it yourself. Like Colorado's a state that allows you to marry yourself. So, I mean, there's zero qualification in order to get married. But if you want to buy a car, you have, got, you have had to go through a big period of testing, both by the state, by other people, by your mom, I mean, all sorts of things if you want to be able to get a car, right? But to get married, you can just say, I think I'd like to get married tomorrow. You just have to find someone else that's crazy enough to agree with it. And then you can marry yourself. And, and it can happen, I mean, any one of you could probably get married in the next 24 hours if you wanted to. I mean, if you have enough money to pay someone to do it, right? It could happen, seriously. So, learn. <laughs> because it's a mess. Dating's a mess. It's complicated, and the way that the world does it, zero qualification that you have to have, and there's not a lot of teaching that most of us have actually thought through, what does it look like to date someone? What does it look like? I mean, this might be, maybe, the first time you've ever even heard something like this talked about from a Christian perspective. Might be. Or if it's not, I guarantee you that you hear way more other sources coming into your mind all the time. So the fourth thing that's practical is this, learn. Learn what does it look like to date someone. And I know that that point has like 100 subpoints packed within it because I'm saying, hey, go learn more than what I'm just saying here. Okay, that's it. So those are four practical things I want you to consider. Next thing is this, what are some heart issues to consider? Dating's difficult. It's confusing and it's complicated. So I'm saying this. This is my argument tonight. Let's look at what the Bible says to help us. Let's look at what the Bible says to help us. Let's look at what the Bible says to think about some practical things. And let's look at what the Bible says to help us with some heart things. Because dating is difficult because practically, a lot of times we don't know what we're doing. And dating is difficult because the heart. Probably more because the heart. I mean, there are so many heart issues that make dating difficult. And if you're married or you're in a relationship, 
and have been for a while, a lot of the heart issues that begin a dating process carry then over into marriage. And they don't go away if they've never actually been addressed. And there's a lot of difficult heart issues that come. And again, these aren't everything, but I think there's one main heart issue I want to talk about that I think affects most of us. I know it affected me when I was dating, and I think that it affects me still today in various relationships. And that's this, that a relationship can become way too important to us. That it can become not just something that we want, but something that we have to have. It can become something that's not just, man, I would like to get married, I would like to be in a relationship, but it can become something that says, I need this to fulfill me, to satisfy me, to make me whole, to complete me. Even the language we use of a soulmate, which I'm not totally against that language, but think about that. Someone to actually mate to my soul. Man, that becomes this person. I really need that person. That a relationship becomes way too important to us. It's no longer just something we want. It's something we have to have. It's something we desperately need and crave. This is a heart issue. Now, what happens if that's the case? What happens if a relationship becomes so important to you? And this, this is not just a dating thing. This can be right now in your marriage. This can be just right now with what other people think of you in general. What happens if a relationship becomes way more important than God intends for it to be? What happens if it becomes something that is not just, I like this, but I need this? What happens? First thing is this. Two different different sides to the same coin. First thing is, you believe, I have to look for the right person. I need to find the right person. I need to find, you wouldn't articulate it this way, okay? That's why I said the right person. You go, well, of course I would want the right person. But really, right is usually translated as the perfect person. Now again, you wouldn't say that. You would say, I need to find the right person. If a relationship is way more than it's supposed to be, if a relationship is not just something that you want, but something that you have to have, that you need in order to feel whole and complete and satisfied, then often what begins to happen is you go, I need to find the right person. Because if this is everything, I got to make sure I don't screw it up. If this is everything, I need to make sure I get the right one. If a relationship is the thing that will complete me and fulfill me, if a relationship is a thing that will finally bring satisfaction to the emptiness I can feel and the loneliness I can feel, If a relationship will do that, then I better find the right person because that's a big slot to fill, right? And then what happens is that's a lot of pressure. So you don't want to mess up, which then often creates this very intense filter. Uh, Online dating has only, and I'm not against online dating by any means, it's a very helpful tool, but it's only accentuated this because it creates this huge filter that if a relationship will bring you fulfillment, you've got to make sure you get the right person in that slot, which then means you are screening extensively for that person. And the filter is huge. Hardly anybody gets in. 
And, and you have all the reasons. To, I mean, if anything is off, their eyes are too big. Their arms are too hairy. Their laugh is too loud. They're too nice. They're too mean. They're too quiet. They're too loud. They're too extroverted. They're too introverted. I mean, you've got, it, it's just the filter is you are looking for God. You're looking for the right person, the perfect person, because if a relationship is the thing that will fulfill you, satisfy you, complete you, mate with your soul, then you've got to get the right person in that slot. I mean, that's a lot of pressure not to mess up on that. And so the screening process becomes extensive. And there's tons of reasons of why this person wouldn't do or this person wouldn't do. Or what happens is you actually, someone makes it. By a miracle of God, someone makes it through the filter and you date them. And then what happens? You realize they're flawed. You realize they're a human being. You realize they're selfish. You realize they have issues, right? You realize they have baggage. You realize they have problems. You realize their profile is a lot better on a screen than in person. You realize that everybody that dates ever is a car salesman. You know, I mean, a lot, you know that dating, the whole point is to show how awesome you are. So that lasts for a little while, and then you go, wait a minute, they're a sinner. Do you know that all the prospects out there that you're interested in are sinners? Every single one of them did something that Jesus had to die on the cross for. Now, if you go sinners, that's a weird word. I know, but when the Bible talks about sin, what it means is someone is self-centered at their core. And most of us agree that that is one of the main problems that people have. They're centered on themselves, and that expresses in all sorts of different ways, right? So what happens is this. If a relationship becomes so important, you've got to find the right person, which might lead you to a crazy screening process, but it also might lead you to this. Somebody gets in, and then you start to see that they're sinful. You start to see that they're selfish. You start to see that they won't fulfill you completely, complete you, satisfy you. That they might actually make your life a little worse than it was before. And you go, wait a minute. I'm looking for completion, satisfaction, and wholeness. And you are messing with me. Or what happens is this. Maybe you don't turn them away. They turn you away. So you're looking for the right person, you find someone, and because you need them to be the right person, because you need them to essentially be God for you, you put tons of weight on them. And look, this can happen in a marriage too. And if you dated like this, it is carried over into your marriage. You need them to be God for you. And so the expectations you have of them are nothing short of what you should have for God. You need them to build up your identity. You need them not to just tell you once in a while that they like you, but you need tons of self-esteem boost, tons of compliments and appreciation and affection. You need them to be the source of completion for you. And so this is what, in a dating relationship, this is what we call needy, right? And the person starts to, whoa, back off. Like you're, you're, you're getting on me. And yeah. Because you're looking to that person to give you so much. 
and the other person is crushed by that because no one can uphold that. You can be a great boyfriend and a lousy God. You can be a great girlfriend and a lousy God. You can be a great husband and a lousy God. You can be a great wife and a lousy God. You can be a great friend and a lousy God. You can be a great father and a lousy God. You can be a great mother and a lousy God. But when we look to other people to do what only God is supposed to do for us, we crush them. Crush them. So, if a relationship becomes too important to us, one side of the coin is this. We look for that right person. But the other thing is this. The other side of the coin, if a relationship becomes all important to us, as one of the hard issues, if a relationship becomes all important to us, it's not that we look for the right person, it's that we look for any person. Well, this is the opposite. Because maybe you go, man, I'm not like that at all. I have no standards. I'll take anybody. But it's the same thing, right? It's made if a relationship has become everything to you. It's something you have to have, not just something you want to have. It's something that will fulfill you and make you whole. Maybe for some of you, you are on the hunt for that right person. And then you married them maybe even, and they're still under the weight of that. Or it might be, I'm not looking for the right person. I'm looking for any person, just anybody. Which then what happens in that case is this. You may manipulate someone to get them. You're looking for anybody, so what can I do to get them? Do I need to flirt with them? Do I need to give them myself physically to keep them? Do I need to tell them, I need you, I couldn't live without you, and make them feel an emotional weight? Make them feel guilty if they were ever to turn away from you? Or, it's not that you have this crazy filter, it's that you have no filter. So you overlook anything that you see. And you become blind. So you begin dating someone, and you start to see this, and you start to see that. And not the nitpicky things, but character things. Things that matter. But you go, it doesn't matter, it's okay, I just need somebody. Or you tell yourself, they'll change. If you are dating the future version of someone and not the actual person you're dating, you're in trouble. If you're convincing yourself that person will be okay, this person, it's all right. They'll get to there. No, they won't. If you're dating someone because you're in love with the future version of them, that's a recipe for disaster. You become blind. And you may even tell yourself things like, no one understands us. No one gets us. No one gets our relationship. Yeah, they do get it. And they're trying to tell you about it. But you're blind. And you want someone so bad, you'll take anyone. And you'll create a version of a person that doesn't even exist. You'll interpret everything through a positive light when it's not. Or, if you need anyone... What may happen is not that you believe that they can change or that you overlook their faults, but you begin to change. This is how a lot of abusive relationships start. You need someone really bad, so you'll take anyone. And that person enters in and begins to change everything about you, and you let them. You let them co-opt your identity. You let them tell you what you should, shouldn't do, how you should be, how you shouldn't be. And they just begin to totally change you. And you go along with it because you need 
anyone. Now look, if, if you've been through that, I'm not saying that lightly. That's hard, okay? So if you're like, man, I'm in the middle of that right now, come talk to me after the service. And I'd be happy to talk with you about that because that leads to a dangerous place, okay? Heart issues. We look for the right person or we look for anyone because a relationship has become all important to us. It's become all important to us. So the very thing that we long for ends up actually shooting us. The very thing that we desire because we over-desire it, it ends up hurting us. So there's practical things we need to consider and there's heart issues we need to consider. Last thing is this. Why does this happen? Like those heart issues, why, why do we look at another person and go, man, I need them. Why does that happen? Why is that such a, and again, if you're married, you might do this with your spouse. Some of the things I described, you may do with your spouse. And if you're dating or if you want to date, those heart issues can often drive us that we need other people. Why does that happen? Augustine, who was an early church kind of author and thinker and pastor in like the 300s, he said this, that every human heart, this is my paraphrase, it's not an exact quote, but it's close. He says that every human heart is restless until it finds its rest in God. That every human heart is restless until it finds its rest in God. So our hearts are longing, they're searching, they're desiring, and they're grabbing all sorts of things to fill that. Okay, so we go after whatever it might be, tons of different things. Our hearts are restless, though, until they find its rest in God. But here's the thing. Human beings, the Bible says, are made in the image of God. We're made to represent God. We're made to show what God is like. We're made... So look, if you're human, which you are, you are made in the image of God. You have inherent dignity and value and worth. And whether you even believe in God or not, God put his image on you, which means something about you shows what God is like, which is a beautiful thing. But what happens is this. If our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God, and a human being is the only thing that's actually made in the image of God, it becomes the easiest substitute. So we can do this with other things. There's other things in our life that we want too much, that we desire too much, that take the place of God in our life. But a human being is a really easy substitute because they're made, we're made in the image of God. Nothing comes close to that rest we can find in God than another human being. So here's what I'm saying. You're not crazy. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying you're not crazy. Because if you look to another person to do that, it makes sense. I'm not saying it's okay, but I'm saying you're not crazy. Our hearts are easily drawn to one another to bring that fulfillment because we are the closest thing to God on this earth. And so our hearts are easily drawn to one another. They're easily drawn to miss God and go for the image of God. But here's what Paul said. This is the verse we looked at before. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And look at this word. It refers to Christ and the church. What he's saying is, all that stuff I talked about, of emptying yourself, and love, and cherishing, and nourishing, and unity, and oneness, and the holding fast. He says, it's a mystery. It's profound. When you look at a marriage, when you look at relationship between humans, it's profound. It's amazing. And he says, it refers to Christ in the church. But what happens is, we make it Christ in the church, which is basically what I've already been saying. He's saying all of these realities that, you, that, I'm, that I'm helping you get to in marriage, they're beautiful things, but they're just a shadow. They refer to Christ in the church. They're supposed to be pointers to Christ in the church. The love from another human being is supposed to be a pointer to the love of God. That cherishing from another human being is supposed to be a pointer. It's supposed to refer to how Jesus loves the church. But what happens is we make that referring the thing itself. We make the shadow the substance. So the way out is to focus on the substance. The way out is not to just focus on what it refers to, but Jesus himself. Look, here's, here's what I'm going to close with. Only Jesus, only Jesus can be the right person for you. He's the only one. Only Jesus is the one. And look, this is true if you're married or not married, because these heart issues drive all of us, where we make another person a substitute for God. Only Jesus is the one that can really give you the love you long for. Only Jesus is the person that really makes it through your filter. Only Jesus is the one that can complete your soul. Only Jesus is the one that can actually meet those deep soul longings that you have. Everything we look to and for in another person, it is a shadow. It's good, but it's a shadow of what Jesus says, I actually come to bring to you. When we take communion, what we remember is that Jesus went to the cross, that God himself came to this earth to pursue us, that God came to this earth to pursue us, you and I. He said, I, I want a relationship with you. I want you to have a relationship with me. And he was willing to live the perfect life, what we all long for in somebody else. And he was willing to sacrifice everything for us and cherish us and make us whole and pure. He was willing to die for us and have his blood shed and his body broken. He was willing to do all of that to get us and to bring us to himself. Even though we were self-centered, even though we are sinners, even though we are people that look for that in other places. He says, I've come for you. So, if you're dating, here's my encouragement. Think about how the Bible informs things practically. And think about how is my heart affected by another person becoming everything to me? Whether that means I look for the right person or I look for any person. If you're married, how have you made your spouse into who only God can be? And then turn your heart and turn your eyes towards Jesus, who all of that refers to. 
who actually is not just the image of God, but the perfect image of God, God himself. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you that everything we long for in other humans, you really are already that for us. God, when we long for love, you give perfect love. When we long for someone to pursue us, you have pursued us. When we long for someone to be a stable source of our identity and tell us we're okay and that we have worth and we have value, that you've done that for us. That when we long for somebody to meet the deepest areas of loneliness and need in our heart, that you say that you are with us and present with us. That when we long for someone to talk with, that you're there. That when we long for someone to truly know us and still accept us, that you know us and accept us. That when we long for someone that would see all our faults and yet give us grace, that you see everything and have died to give us grace. God, you are better than any human being on this earth. Though we image you, Lord, you are the perfect image of God. Help us as we take communion and as we sing now to see you clearly and to have our hearts turned towards you, Jesus, in your name.